Our next guest is passionate about issues of potential of women and inequality and also rights and recognizing the contribution women have been making over the years. On a day like this, where women made history in 1956 by standing up uh, to a brutal system, looking back, how would she describe the current state of women's rights? for example, in our country. One of the things she does is support women to know themselves deeply and to achieve their goals of personal growth and leadership. She also helps them achieve professional success by focusing on building on their strengths. So let's welcome Shirin Mutara, who is a certified coach and founder and CEO of Tara Transform. Shireen, salutations to you for this Woman's Day. Welcome. So COVID broke out and many people, not just women, have lost their jobs. And on the other hand, the economy is not doing well. What do you say to that women uh, who don't see uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the one whose life is bleak, who feels as they're listening to this conversation, I literally have no hope. Welcome, by the way. Thank you very much, um, KG. So that's a, such a difficult, difficult question because it's really, um, you know, it's the worst of times, in fact, for all of us and for those affected um, by job insecurity, losing their jobs, um, pay cuts and so on. It's it's even worse. So I think that, um, you know, in, in situations like this, it's often good to kind of um, think about you know, what the prospects are for moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yes, things are really bad now, but what can I do to to propel myself in a sense? So what options do I have? And I think what is important to note is that for women, for black women in particular, who are, you know, most badly affected by what's happening with COVID, they are also often the ones who lack the kind of networks, um, who, ne- who lack the connection to opportunities and so on, and are therefore then more reliant on government to support them. Mm. So I think this is the time when we have to remind our government that, you know, they have to step up. So some of the things that they have been doing, for example, um, the grants that have been available to people who have been unemployed, who have lost their jobs, um, took unpaid caregivers. I think that's an important start. Um, but I think that there's much more that we must hold the government accountable to in times like these. They have to understand that women in particular, you know, are the ones that are bearing the brunt of COVID also from a, from a position of unpaid labor. Mm. Um, they are the ones having to take care of people. They are, are the ones having to take um, care of themselves, of their children and so on. And so whilst we want women to say, you know, you need to think about what what you what opportunities you can get, if the environment is not creating and facilitating that, mm. then you know you are almost helpless to help yourself. And there's a big argument often of, you know, no, we need people to help themselves. They need to, you know, get up their own opportunities and so on. But the system, the system that we live in, is not allowing that. And so we have to have a kind of um, parallel process of supporting women to empower themselves um, to build the confidence and the um, and the agency to question, to challenge, um, to ask for opportunities. But we must also, more importantly, hold the government, um, employers, companies 
accountable to be able to say, are you giving sufficient attention to the specific challenges that women are facing and addressing those? Yeah. You talk of, of creating a parallel system, you know, uh, for helpless women to, to help themselves. And in your work, you're, you're a coach and uh, you're a specialist in your field. How difficult is it, or even maybe simple, uh, is it for you as as um, a specialist in your field to be able to get into the mind of a woman uh, who may not realize their own potential and, and may feel that they're tired, they're really mm-hmm. tired of the speeches and the same old topics that get discussed on days like this? Because this day comes every year and, you know, uh, people speak to women like you. How uh, easy is it for you to say to them, here are the ways in which you can help yourself to realize your ultimate potential. Um, I think it's not easy, but it's possible. So with the work that I do, for example, I'm thinking now I run a project called the Young Women Thrive Project, which supports unemployed young women who have children, but who basically fall through the cracks of the system Mm. to kind of start building their capabilities and agency and to get economic opportunities. Mm -hmm. And I think the starting point is often about understanding how you've got to where you are. So you've got to where you are because you already have certain skills and abilities. As a parent, for example, you you already have skills, right? You You can nurture children, you grow your children up, you look after your children. The unpaid care care labor, the labor that our world doesn't recognize, that means you you bring a lot to the world. Mm -hmm. That unpaid care labor means a lot. If we don't bring that to the world, the world will not exist. So it's important for us as women in those difficult scenarios to recognize what we already have and how we got to where we already are. So it's about understanding that. So I have already have skills. I have a foundation. Um, and from that foundation, I can start building up. And when I work with women, what we try and do is we try and recognize that foundation because what we want you to do is, one, we want you to be self-aware, mm-hmm. but we also want you to be compassionate with yourself. Yeah, be self-aware and that compassion and be starts with knowing yourself, yes. Yeah. And then building from that rather than thinking that, you know, the world is very harsh on women it makes us think we we only good for um you know for being in the home and taking care of things but all those things wouldn't if the world if the world does not have that um the world would fall apart so it's important for us to understand the value we bring to the world even when we are unemployed yeah even when we think we don't have opportunities and that value is is uh, is uh, brought to life on a day like today because uh, you know it was women in 1956 uh, who were brazen enough to do uh, what we commemorate today. Uh, mm-hmm. When you look back to uh, that story of 1956 and and where it is that we are as women today, would you, uh, in your work and in your personal perspective, say there's a whole lot to celebrate, or would you rather stick with there's still a lot to fight for, uh, but we have the agency to fight for it. I think it's a, com- a combination of those things. So I think that, you know, those women who stood up in 1956 
um, and march to the union buildings, I think they'd be very disappointed in where we are now. As because, as, as I said myself at the beginning, that they would be so mm, disappointed. Yes, mm-hmm. because we we've in a sense we've moved backwards. Mm. Um, so. If you look at the early 2000s, we were making good progress. Mm. You know, we were seeing women advance in different in different ways, and we also felt that you know when democracy was new, our government was eager to do things and help women and so on. But now we're seeing we're moving backwards. For example, if you look at our status on the World Economic Forum um, Global Gender Gap Report, where they assess 156 countries. We have moved from a position of 12 in, in 2010 to position number 18. But on the economic front, we've moved down to 92 from 79, wow. meaning that we were already weak and we're getting even weaker. And that is because we are not looking at things like women's economic um, advancement in the workplace. So we just look at numbers. You know, yeah. yes, we have more women in the workplace and so on. But the gender pay gap remains a problem. Because of the gender pay gap, we are 139th on that list Yeah, as far as pay is concerned. So we are really moving backwards on a number of significant areas. We have a lot of qualified professional women. But if you look at senior management and top management, we still have a, a very, very long way to go. So women are getting stuck somewhere. Um, and it's very difficult for them to, to break through, in a sense, that, that glass ceiling that we often talk about. Oh, we're dealing with the issue of the gender pay gap now, but we haven't even, uh, you know, stopped to remember that the issue of poverty and inequality, mm-hmm, uh, particularly mm-hmm. for women in the rural areas, is, yes. is, is their daily reality. And sometimes when we do these interviews uh, and and have these conversations, women in rural spaces and areas feel left out. What would your sentiment be towards those women uh, on top of already the issue of the gender pay gap discussion that we just had? So I think, I mean, the Oxfam recently released the Poverty and Inequality Report, and they raise a number of crucial issues around women in South Africa, um, and particularly looking at black women, rural women, you know, the kind of intersectionalities that affect women. Um, a big thing that we know is that in South Africa, for example, the, the majority of households are led by women. So mm. over 40% of households are led by women. Yet our social system, our government and so on, don't consider that. They don't look at it as a specific area of intervention and a way of building a stronger social and support system for women to be able to support their children. Mm. So it was easy enough to say that in COVID, no, you know, um, the children can be at home and so on. But it didn't recognize what does that mean? for women where they are the only ones looking after children. In rural areas, for example, it is older women who are taking care of their children's children because that's the only way their children can work, but it places an an, un, an extra burden on them. You know, So when they are supposed to be, uh, for example, enjoying their, their old age, they are having to take care of children because the system that we have built in this country is built on the labor of black women. Uh, and so in rural areas, we see that our rural families are the ones that are having to, to take on those responsibilities. And we don't look at how we are creating opportunities 
in those communities mm. for women to be able to access um, support and opportunities. We always, you know, as we talk now about the vaccination and so on, we, we talk a lot about what's happening in the urban centers, but there's mm. very little clarity about how are older women in rural areas who have to walk far to access health services going to access that vaccine. Yeah. You know, are we taking the measures necessary to make sure that those, those that are really excluded um, from society are being able, are, are being accessed and being given the support we we need them to give. So we, we operate from a lens of very much, as you say, urban, uh, middle class, um, educated, and so on. And then, of, and we don't look at you know the specific um, challenges that that those that communities face that are um, outlying, that are extremely poor, and so on. So that 350, for example, that someone gets now who's in a rural area, it's hardly going to do anything for them because, first of all, how much money are they going to have to pay to get to somewhere where they can buy anything? So, yeah. you know, it's those kinds of uh, differences, and that's why we talk about intersectionality. It means that we have to understand the different aspects that affect someone's life um, and not just treat everyone the same, which I feel is the problem with the way in which our government and our our employers operate. We are in conversation with uh, Sharon Mutara, who is a certified coach and uh, the founder and CEO of Tara Transform. And we're dealing with the issues uh, that uh, women face of inequality still in 2021. And speaking of uh, the government, Shireen, uh, the NC government is sometimes praised for the amount of women it has put in, in high positions in, in the executive. How would you view this, considering we live in a country, in fact, Statistics South Africa, uh, at last count, we, in, uh, we live in a country of what, almost 59 million people, and actually over 51% of the overall population is made up of women. And here we are, uh, you know, praising uh, the amount of women that uh, government has put in high positions, but they're not nearly uh, reflective of that 51%. And, you know, even if it was reflective of the 51%, it would still not help us much because. What we are seeing is that despite the fact that women have moved into certain positions, they don't have the power to shift the system. Mm. Um, and I think that's one of the things Oxfam's report also highlights. It says it's, you know, it's very easy to say we have more black women CEOs, but to what extent does that translate to real change for women on the ground? Mm. So the same has happened with the political system. So yes, we have a lot more women in, in political power, but have we seen that that has, has translated into any kind of positive change for women? In fact, as I said earlier, we are regressing, yet we have the Commission for Gender Equality. We have the Department of Women. We have lots of women ministers. We have lots of women uh, deputy ministers, women in different other political spaces. Women on boards are increasing, but still that 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 power and that change is not translating to to any kind of change for for women's lives for so those women that are unemployed those women that are unskilled that are doing domestic work for example how how have they how have they created change for those women so i think that we must challenge this narrative about if we have more women the system will change um, because we are seeing that that is not happening. And and part of the problems of that is, for example, um, with the political system, the way in which political parties function, 
it does not enable women to use their individual agency as women in those parties to drive issues forward. Mm. They have to kind of toe a party line, and as a result, if they don't, if they don't do what the party wants, then you know they're out. So yeah. it doesn't. You, we're not seeing that the political parties, for example, are driving the agenda of gender equality meaningfully. And therefore, we can expect that we are not going to see the kind of change that we need. And then we have uh, the other problem of young girls and uh, teenage pregnancy, uh, which Mm -hmm. is still a major problem for our country. Why is that a problem we're not able to deal deal with? Why is it one of the main factors contributing uh, to the challenges that women face in our country today? So there are a number of things there, and we come back to this, the question of poverty and inequality. Mm. So if we look at also where those young girls come from, um, we should be able to assess why that becomes a problem. I think it becomes too easy for us to say, you know, what's wrong with these young girls? Um, they, you know, they just want money and things like that. But can you really tell me that a young girl is going to want to have a baby so she can get a 300 rand a month? Doesn't make so sense. I think that Yes, we need to understand that the position of, I mean, us as women, professional women who have careers and degrees and whatever, we still struggle. So can you imagine the position of a young girl in a rural area that barely has access to an an education and so on? The other thing is also about the way in which our norms, um, the norms and cultures in our society, young girls and young women have no power in society. They have no voice. They can't say, no, I don't want to have unprotected sex. Mm. They just don't have the ability to do that. And then on the other hand, the health system judges them when they want to access contraception, for example, Mm. to protect themselves. So they are in such a vulnerable position. I mean, if you look at this thing from an intersectional lens, young girls, and particularly young girls, in poor communities, in rural communities and so on, are the ones that are the most deeply affected by the kind of discrimination that happens in our society against women because they don't even have any power or agency to do anything. And often where they are in desperate situations, they may enter into um, difficult relationships with older men, for example, and so on because they they need to get some money for food but also because the the communities around them do not protect them. Oh, and then there's gender-based violence, the other cancer uh, that just really refuses to leave our country. Uh, and there's been so many campaigns around it, right? Are mm-hmm. we preaching the correct message? Because the numbers are not going down. In fact, uh, the, the numbers were appalling just during the lockdown last year at the start of the hard lockdown for COVID. What are we to do to get rid of this cancer? So I think, again, here is where we need to look at it from a number of different angles. And the first that thing that I want to say is that we must step away from this idea of saying to women, you must solve the problem. Mm. Don't do this. Don't wear that. You know, those kinds of things. It's very, very problematic. And it kind of um, fuels the perception that women are the ones that should be solving the problem. But the problem is is multifold in the sense that one Whilst we have policies and laws that we have 
fought for for many years from the late 90s. We have strong policies and laws. Those policies and laws are not being implemented. So the um, the police, the justice system and so on, they're not doing their jobs as far as gender-based violence is concerned. And the result of that is that more women then do not want to report. Mm. And then as a result, they stay in those abusive relationships because they don't have options. The second reason is economic. So if I'm living with someone who's abusive, I don't have a job or I have a very low low paying job or I'm in, I work in the informal sector, I have children to see to. And I, then when I report the violence, I'm taken out, I'm put in a shelter for three months. After I get out of that shelter, I have to see my own way. Where mm. do I go? Yeah. So yeah. our system is not built to address the deep-seated problems around gender-based violence. We are not creating a system that enables women to have agency when they are affected by gender-based violence. And so, you know, and we keep saying the same things over and over. We now have a national plan on gender-based violence. There's more funding that's being given. But for as long as the role players, those that hold the power, don't change their behavior or don't do what they need to do, we are not going to see the situation improving. The final thing around gender-based violence is around the kind of messages that we send in our society. So we often, when we talk about gender-based violence, we talk about women, but we don't talk about men. And we don't talk about the kind of toxic masculinities that we create, the the things that we, we tell men that they should be doing, they should be strong, uh, they should be powerful, they should be the decision maker and so on. Um, and that is problematic in the sense that it then makes men feel that they have that power over women mm. instead of recognizing that women are equal to them and that they are, you know, as, that if we are equal to each other, it means we, we engage with each other on the same level. But we, cre- we have created our society and our whole system. I mean, we see it in politics as well. We see it in um, in, in different parts of our lives with celebrities and su- and such that, you know, men have a very powerful voice in our society and we we don't want, where we say men um, must be equal to women, they, they feel that that is saying that they're not good men or they're not strong men. So we have to change those narratives as well around what is good, what is masculinity and how um, as men and women can we, you know, can we can we live together in a way where we respect each other as human beings um, and we are able to, then build a better society. And those are the things we're needing to teach our children as well, because for as long as we continue with the kind of toxic behaviors, um, this, this culture of, you know, men being powerful, men doing everything, and women only having to wait, you know, bowl in hand, then we will continue to have the kind of problems that we have. That's powerful. Uh, we invite uh, callers at the beginning of our show to join in uh, the conversation. And Shireen, we have a caller uh, who wants to engage us. Uh, it's Butana in Rosebank. Hello, Butana. Hi, hi, my sister. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Mm. Your, your, your guest is so spot on, so spot on. You know, you, you will never be liberated on the current system. And you, you, you don't have even to create false hope about the current system that is going, not even liberating the women, but liberating us as men. We are trapped in the politics of lies. We are trapped in politics of uh, factional politics. Women take side with crooks. 
that want to govern the country, women take side with people that have no moral to run the country. And it hurts us, it hurts our daughters, it hurts everybody in the society. And people celebrate mediocre just because you are fighting with certain factions. Up until we liberate ourselves on that, forget it. We are not going to get nearer to our, our dreams have been deferred indefinitely. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Okay, sorry, I hope I didn't cut you, Budana, but thank you for your call. Okay. We also have a, a voice note on young girls in rural and urban areas falling pregnant because of not having access uh, to information. Uh, let's hear that voice note. I'm afraid I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with your speaker there. She may be a specialist, but it's not rural women, girls who are falling pregnant. It's mostly the one in the urban areas who have the information, access to information, who have that, and yet don't don't use it. They mislead each other. It's not about them being disadvantaged because in the, they are in the rural areas. It's girls in the urban areas who are having babies, choosing to have babies as opposed to focusing on getting a, an education and bettering their lives. It might but, sound like I'm being insensitive, but that is the truth. No, we create. It has got nothing to do with not having exposure because you are in, in a rural area. Debo, okay. yeah. Okay, Debu, we create this platform. This platform is created for yourselves first uh, before us. Shirin, do you want to comment uh, on uh, that caller and that voice note? Yeah, I think, I, I think I've, I've made my point earlier, and, and I don't think I said it's only about girls in rural areas, but I think there were a number of factors I mentioned. Mm. And I think we must be cautious about. Um, about labeling girls as you know as wanting that and um, they they make the bad choices and so on we we need to for example look at is our education system um, giving our educating our young people according accordingly so are they giving them the sense that you know you need to understand the issues around sexuality and you need to know you know what the consequences are I think it's very uh, yes I think uh, she may she said you know, you may think I'm harsh, but I do think it's harsh to kind of judge young girls. And what are we saying about the young boys? Mm. Because they are also the ones, they are in fact the ones with the power and the influence over young girls. So I think that we need to, again, we need to look at the entire system and see how the system is is allowing this to happen. Um, and to what extent, you know, do we are we really making sure that young girls are informed are getting access to the kind of sexual and reproductive health education that they need um, and, and services that they need as well. There's a lot of organizations doing work around um, sexual and reproductive health that can tell you that, that often uh, when young women want to access those services, they are treated very badly or they are chased away from health, fun health services uh, clinics and so on, because it's like you're a child, you should not be accessing this. Yet we have legislation that allows children to be able to do that. So I do think that we, again, we have to be, we have to take a step back and we have to kind of, you know, see see the full picture. I want to uh, not, I don't want to finish this conversation uh, without talking about the, the work that you do at Tara, at Tara Transform. When big institutions approach you, 
what problems do they ask you to fix? And and do you fix those problems with the lens of first and foremost being a woman? Or do you fix uh, the problems uh, based on only uh, the problem that these uh, institutions approach you for? So I think that, I mean, um, I always say to people that I feel my purpose in life is that I exist to make the world better for women. Mm. And so that is the lens that I operate from. Um, Because I think, you know, the ideal is that we want gender equality. But when we want gender equality, we must understand that in order to achieve that equality, we have to address the gaps for those who have been disadvantaged. And from a race perspective, we seem to understand that well, right? So so we know that, um, you know, white people were advantaged, black people were disadvantaged, and therefore we needed to take steps to advance black people. Yet when we talk about women, uh, black women in particular, for example, we, we don't seem to make that connection. Mm. So for me, it's important that I keep making that visible. Um, and so in some of the work that I do, um, my clients would range from large funders, um, international funders, um, large organizations, UN agencies, and so on. And a lot of the work is really about picking up that gap, assessing if there's a gap, and how, and giving them recommendations on how to address that gap. So, for example, one of the projects where I've been involved in has around has been around biodiversity mm. and looking at how to create employment and economic opportunities in the biodiversity sector. Yeah. Um, you know, we have challenges with creating jobs and so on. So they're looking to that sector to create jobs. That sector is dominated by women, but the people who make decisions are not women. Um, also, that sector, a lot of Um, what comes out of that sector comes out of indigenous communities. Mm. So uh, one of the things that I recommended to my clients around that was about how do they make the voices of indigenous women visible in spaces where they are having conversations about accessing indigenous knowledge Mm -hmm. and where culture is an issue, for example, and women often are not sitting at the table having the conversation. The second is also about how do we move away from this idea of throwing training at women to, to say women need training, women need training. I mean, it's so much later. Women have gone through training of every kind under the sun, yet yeah. they are not getting a seat at the table. Yes, absolutely. Right? So we need to start challenging that. So yes, you can give women training, but are they included in the voices that are making the decisions, mm. that are having the critical conversations, um, that are leading projects, that are making decisions about money? So those are some of the um, the things that I that I try to bring out, so that we stop having this kind of tokenistic approach, which says, "Okay, we need so many women, and then let's give women training so we can empower them." Mm. What's the website at Tara Transform? Um, it's taratransform.com or shereenmotara.com. It's been so enlightening to talk to you. Thank you so much for your. Th- the insights and your thinking and the work that you do uh, out there. Thank you so much for making the time, Shireen. Thank you so much for an interesting conversation. I appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, KG. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Shireen Mutara is a certified coach and the founder and CEO of Tara Transform. Can you believe it? It's 1145.